Well, if you have your Bibles or uh, you uh, see a copy of uh, Scripture there in the pew rack in front of you, uh, if you'll get that and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, we're going to continue this series called Core. Uh, let's, uh, let, let's be clear about what we're talking about here. We're not talking specifically about uh, Eric's idea of the way church ought to be. We're not talking about that. Um, when we look at core, we're looking at Christ's idea of what the church ought to be. Okay? So we're not talking about my opinion on this. Uh, and if, uh, uh, if, if you come away thinking that, well, this is just about what Eric thinks, then uh, go back to the text. We're going to look at the text again uh, for each of the other core sermons uh, because it's important for us to understand that the big picture, the big idea of everything we're talking about is straight from Scripture, okay? So it's important for you and for me to understand that this is, this is what Jesus envisions for the church, okay? That's vitally important, all right? So uh, as we look at the core series, what, what we began with, core series number one, is, uh, uh, it comes from John chapter 17. Now remember, this is scripture. This is important. Okay, so John chapter 17, begin verse 1. Jesus is about to go to heaven, or he's about to be crucified, uh, buried, resurrected, go to heaven. And this is his prayer. And he, he begins the prayer, John chapter 17, begin verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son might also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the big idea in core number one is that we exist for God's glory. We exist to glorify God. That's why we're here. Our church is here for one reason, one supreme ambition, and that is to glorify God. That's it. Okay, so that was core number one. Core number two flows from core number one. Core number two came from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Look at verses 9 and 10. And Paul is writing, he's describing his ministry on earth. Now, he has a vision of him going to heaven. Now he's thinking about heaven, but he's still talking about what he does here on this earth and how he's leading the church to, to do certain things. So uh, if core number one is we exist to glorify God, then 2 Corinthians 5, begin verse 9, here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent. So whether on this earth or in heaven, Paul's aim, his goal, his, his, his purpose, his, his desire Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an answer for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Therefore, verse 11, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So what is Paul saying there? Well, he's saying that, that his supreme pleasure and the church's supreme pleasure is God's pleasure. So core number two, our supreme pleasure is not what we want, but what God wants. And that flows through every aspect of the church life. 
So that, as, I, as you remember, last week I used the analogy. Many times we gather here and we sit in these pews and we think that we're in a theater. We're in a movie theater syndrome. And, and we think that we're, the, that, that we're the audience sitting in the pews and this is the people up on the stage doing their thing. But, but that's not the picture of what worship is about. Worship is not for your pleasure. It's not for my pleasure. It's for God's pleasure. So we exist with a supreme ambition to glorify God, and our supreme pleasure is God's pleasure. Say it another way, we live to make God smile. So as a church, we glorify God, and we, we exist to glorify God, and we exist to make God smile. And we looked at different aspects of what makes God smile. One aspect of making God smile is the salvation of sinners. The second part of making God smile is obedience to his commands. And the third, because we're not perfect in obeying his commands, the third aspect that makes God smile is brokenness over our disobedience to his commands. Okay? And that's what the message was about. So, so we're looking at core. So, so what are we looking at as a church? Well, God expects our church to glorify him. And God expects our church to make him smile. And so that's how we're going to move forward together. All right. Today we're looking at vision. What is the supreme vision? Now, when I use the term vision here, I'm talking about uh, how we see ourselves as a church, how we see ourselves as followers of Christ, how we see people around us, our community. What is it that we're looking for? What is it that we see? See today and see tomorrow. So, so as we look at that, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 14 and 15, gives us insight. Again, Paul is talking about heaven. He's talking about earth. He's talking about how he desires to minister faithfully. In verse 11, he says he persuades men. Verse 12, he says, I'm going to be, uh, he, he says, I'm not going to be all hat and no cowboy. That's verse 12. I'm not going to be all hat and no cowboy. Say it a different way. He says, I'm not going to be all saddle and no horse. Say it a different way. He says, I'm not going to be all show and no substance. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to to give myself fully and completely so that I glorify God, make him smile, and it's going to be the real deal, not some fake little image that I'm putting on. All right? Verse 13, he gives some example. He says, some of you all see me and I'm out of my mind. Some of you see me and I'm in my right mind. And we don't know exactly what he's talking about. We don't ask. But... And then leads to verse 14. So he's talking about his ministry. Verse 14, he says, uh, for the love of Christ constrains us. For thus we judge that if one died for all, then all died. And he, being Jesus, he died for all. Now here's why, look, I want you to see the construction. The language is very important. He died for all so that we who live should live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. You see that? So that flies in the face of much of what we define as community. See, what what happens in community many times is is we get into community and we we start thinking, well, this is is about, you know, I, I paid my dues, so I need to get my stuff. But but that's not the community that Jesus has a vision for. Jesus has a vision for a community that lives the way he lived, with the passion that he had. 
Uh, essentially, we look at this passage and we see that the big idea, we will pay the price to advance the gospel. And you might say, well, where, where, where do you see that in the text? Well, it's all through the text. First of all, it's talking about Christ's love. What is Christ's love? Well, Christ's love is uh, the gospel lived out. It is Jesus leaving the throne room of heaven, being born in a manger in a stable, uh, uh, taking off the royal robes of deity and shrinking his deity into the skin of humanity, living his life um, a- a- as a man, obedient to God in every point, living for God's glory, making God smile, so much so that he would then die on a cross for sinners, be buried and raised again on the third day. Jesus gave himself selflessly and sacrificially. In fact, think about this week. This week, uh, the world kind of went a little nuts. Began the week with the bombing there in, at the Boston Marathon. And then you had the fertilizer plant in West Texas, West, Texas, near Waco. And, and, and the fertilizer plant exploded. And then... Uh, had uh, the, the chasing down of the, of the bombers, the terrorists, uh, this, uh, over the weekend. It just seemed uh, like it, things were going. Got a text message from my oldest daughter who was at school, and she said, she said, what is going on? Maybe you all had the same impression. It just, just, wow. As you have weeks like that, it, 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 it reminded me of a few things. First, it reminds me... Um, uh, it, it, it reminds me that life is fragile. I mean, life is fragile. Oh, we're, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed my next breath, so I better make the most of this moment. Life is fragile. It, it reminds me that there is evil and wickedness in the world. There is a darkness in the world. It reminds me of how thankful I am for first responders. Men and women who risk their life, who pay the price to go to those who are captured in the carnage and the chaos of disaster and tragedy, those who enter into the danger zone simply to rescue and help those who are hurting and in need. I'm so thankful for those first responders. Ultimately, it reminds me that people need Jesus, and he is the hope that we have. So as we look at those first responders specifically, I mean, here are people that were willing to pay the price. In fact, they, they, that, that's their evaluation. I'm going to risk my life to save you. That's the job description. I'm going to be the first one in. I'm going to be the last one out. I'm going to go in to save you, to rescue you, to help you. I'm going to pay the price. My friends, Jesus was the very first first responder. He entered into the danger zone to pay the price. And and that is the picture that Paul is painting here. He's painting the picture of Christ and his love. You see, Christ's love binds us together under this one vision. And, and, And the vision is... The church will pay the price to advance the gospel. By the way, Jesus, Jesus uh, from the very beginning of his ministry, according to Mark chapter 1, came preaching the good news of the kingdom. And that, that good news of the kingdom was lived out in this love that he displayed. 
So when Paul says in verse 14, the love of Christ constrains us or compels us, he's talking about a specific love. He's talking about Christ selflessly, sacrificially giving himself so that people who are empty and lost and needing life could be rescued. He's talking about Jesus declaring in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He's, he, he's, he's pointing to John chapter 15 where Jesus said, No greater love is anyone than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. He's talking about Jesus and the whole scope of his ministry. Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's Luke 19.10. Mark 10.45 is for the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus and his love begins, uh, uh, creates this vision that we have for our church and for our life and for our ministry. It is not built on me getting my way. Do I need to, let's think again. Here's Christ's love. He gave his life so that we might live. He didn't do that for himself. He did it for the glory of God to make God smile and to bring rescue to you and me. He's the son of man who deserves all honor and praise and worship and adoration, but he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom, the payment price for us so that we might be saved and rescued. He is the good shepherd The Psalm 23 good shepherd, the good shepherd, the king that everybody had been waiting for. He is the good shepherd, but the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here is the love of Christ that binds us together as a church. Or should. See, what happens to us is we, and and, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody else, but what happens to us, we get so consumed with all these lesser things that we have around us. Have you ever been in a car and there's a bumblebee in the car? So you're driving and you know the most important thing to do while you're driving is keep both hands on the wheel and to keep your eyes on the road. And not swerve into the oncoming traffic. You know this to be true, yes? But a bumblebee can change that. I mean, a bumblebee freaks you out. It makes you a little crazy. It makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do. Well, that's what happens to us as followers of Christ. We know that the most important thing, the greatest thing, is Christ's love and And that love defining us and and saturating our hearts so that we are consumed with Christ's love and focusing on Christ's love and the life that that demands from us. But what happens is we have these little bumblebees that start buzzing around us. And we get, by the way, for me, it doesn't have to be a bumblebee that would sting. I mean, a fly, I get, or a mosquito, I get so freaked out by these things. And a fly, my my obsessive compulsive behavior gets the best of me. And I'm going to, I mean, I will wreck the car to kill that fly. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I don't kill animals. Yes, I would. I kill that fly. But it's it's just, but, but that's what happens to us. 
And in the church, the reason, the reason we lose our way is, is we, we get our vision focused on these buzzing bees and flies and gnats and mosquitoes all around us instead of keeping our focus on Christ and His love. See, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that if each one of us will commit ourselves today to be consumed by Christ's love, to have our vision set on Christ and His love for us, I'm convinced that if we will do that, then Jesus will move us forward in His vision for us, and we will advance the gospel. Now, here's the thing. If Christ's love is binding us together, how does that apply? Where, where does that take us? Well, it takes us one place. We're going to advance the gospel the way Jesus did. That's what we have to do. See, if his love is constraining, if, if his love is compelling, if his love is binding us together, then as Paul writes it, he says, now Jesus died for all. And therefore, all have died. You know what that means? It means you die to yourself. You die to your self-indulgence. You, you, we, we die to our selfish ambitions. We die to ourselves. Jesus, Jesus said it this way. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself daily, take up his cross daily, and follow after me daily. He says, whoever desires to save his life must lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, the same one will save it. He says, you've got to give your life up. To be a follower of Christ is not simply to say, hmm, Jesus is my homeboy. To be a follower of, uh, of Christ means that we do what Jesus did and that his vision becomes our vision. Well, his vision was the salvation lost. His vision was the rescue of sinners. As a church, if we are the body, the bride of Christ, then we must be passionate to, to advance the gospel just as Jesus was passionate. And how did Jesus advance the gospel? Well, he died. Am I right? Wait a second. Let, let's just, I mean, do you see that? How did Jesus advance the gospel? He died. Yes? And so here we are as followers of Christ sitting, you know, in relative ease in our uncomfortable pew seats. And we act like we're being put upon if we're asked to go across the street and talk to a neighbor about Jesus. See, here's the big question we've got to answer. As a church, are we paying the price to advance the gospel? Are we following the model that Jesus has set? Again, listen to Paul. He said, he said for the, the love of Christ compels us, for we judge thusly that if one, died, then, if one died for all, then all have died. And he, Jesus, died for all so that we who live, the church, should live, how? No longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. Just letting that sink in. See, if the model is Jesus died to rescue sinners, then the application is that, that we live to complete Christ's vision of taking this wonderful message of Christ's rescuing love to those who are in deep darkness. 
Jesus paid the price to be a first responder, and he's made us his body and bride so that now we are the first responders. And we must complete Christ's vision. So what does that look like? Well, it, it means that we're going to multiply. Um, right now, there are 263 million people in, the, in North America who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 263 million people. 80% of those 263 million people live in urban settings, in cities like Norfolk, Virginia. And those people need rescue. And Christ has given us a vision where we will multiply ourselves in those settings to advance the gospel. Prime example is Montreal. Montreal is a city whose population is 3.5 million people. And of those 3.5 million people, 18,000 have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to get the picture again. 3.5 million people with 18,000 having a relationship with Jesus. Our church was approached uh, several months ago to be a strategic church uh, that plans how we can advance the gospel in Montreal. We accepted the call and we determined that we would pay the price and Initially, that price was $25,000. That's a small price. We invested the $25,000, and uh, with the help of the North American Mission Board and the Canadian Baptists, we were able to uh, uh, hire uh, or call a church planter. And that church planter then began interest meeting, uh, meetings in, in Montreal, And on April 7th, they had their first worship gathering, and 600 people showed up. That's not the last church plant we'll have in Montreal. It's just the first. But we will be the bride of Christ advancing the gospel. We're going to do all we can to pay the price to complete Christ's vision. We have the Chesapeake Fellowship and, and other multiplication centers uh, that, that we have and will begin uh, over the next several years. We're, we want to raise up uh, individuals uh, and, and equip you uh, to plant a multiplication center, plant a church or a satellite, whatever you want to call it, up and down the tide, the, the, the rail system, so that you as God has called you, you are equipped and, and, and you are resourced and, and you, on the weekend, you're pastor of that church. And we, we believe that is a biblical model. And so we're going to multiply. We have multiply, uh, multiplication church, can, uh, uh, church uh, Plants all around the world, in, in, uh, uh, in, in Africa, in Southeast Asia, with uh, unengaged people groups, that people that don't hear the gospel. 
uh, in, uh, uh, in, in India. But that's just the beginning. We're going to multiply. We're going to multiply here in Hampton Roads through life groups and, and you scattered to your home. Why, why, why is that important? Well, because we know that the majority of Hampton Roads is not in church today. We can't wait for them to come to us. We have to go to them. And so we have life groups on campus, but we have life groups off campus. We want those life groups to be scattered throughout Hampton Roads. We're going to multiply. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to share. That that means that you will commit yourself, perhaps even today, you will commit yourself to walk across the street or walk across the hallway or walk across uh, uh, your office and talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. At least start the conversation. You're going to commit yourself today to pay the price of your own discomfort to share Jesus with somebody. We're going to share. And then we're going to invite. Invite. And God has blessed us with this building. This building is not a right. It's a privilege. And by the way, if the building were gone, we would still be the church. The church is not the building. It's not the bricks, mortar, carpet, or anything in between. The building is just a place where we're sitting down and hanging out. The church is us. Okay? So, so, uh, but, but we have this building. It's a wonderful building. It's been here, and we're thankful for it. And we're, we're, we're excited about what, uh, how God has given us this building. So we're going to invite people to gather with us. You can invite someone searching for something and gather with us. So I wanted to give us some tangible um, way to apply this point of inviting. Inviting, by the way, is the easiest one that we're doing. Okay, so we're going to start here. Invite. Uh, what, what, is some, uh, what is a tangible way that we can do that? Well, starting May the 1st, you're going to hear a lot about 5030. 50-30. It's on your note sheet. 50-30. What is 50-30 all about? 50-30 means that beginning May the 1st, we're going to take 30 days, and as a church, we are going to invite 50,000 people to join us for worship. In 30 days, we'll invite 50,000 people to join us for worship. Generally, that means that every person here will invite one person a day for 30 days, generally. Now, I... I can't even begin to imagine what God could do if we would pay the price to advance the gospel, bring God glory, make him smile, and invite one person a day for the next 30 days. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. But really, the win for us, the the way we're going to measure how we're doing is that 1-10. See, really the goal for us as a church would be this. Every weekend that we gather together, one out of every ten persons who have gathered with us on a weekend, one out of every ten, is someone who during that year came to faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized in the life of this church. So with a thousand people, that's a hundred. That year who came to faith in Christ... You have 2,000 people, that's 200 people that year who came to faith in Christ and were baptized. 
That's one out of ten. You know, that's a pretty good ratio to measure how well we're doing of advancing the gospel. But it all comes down to you and to me. Will we pay the price? Will we seek to glorify God, to make Him smile, and pay the price to advance the gospel? Will you join me in being a first responder to those who are living under the crushing weight of hopelessness and despair? Will you follow Jesus, in being a first responder. Not just on occasion, not just once every year, not just once every 10 years, but will you commit yourself today to be a first responder every single day? That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Here again what Paul wrote. For the love of Christ constrains us. For we judge thusly, that if one died for all, then all have died. And he died for all, that we who live should live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. Will you Set your vision upon Christ so that his vision might lead you to live your life for him who died for you and rose again.